0: Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast, exploring alternative investment opportunities available to the everyday investor. Here's your host, Ben Lakoff. Hello and welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Today's interview is with Harley Bassman. This was the first recorded interview of 2021. I know I'm behind But the world of financial assets feels really out of control right now. And in these times, it's oh so common to hear the phrase it's different this time. What I love about Harley is that he contends that if you look hard enough, you'll see that it's never different this time. We're all humans driven by the same things, which is actually refreshing. Sometimes Harley was the inventor of the popular move index M O V E the treasury volatility cousin of the vix since then he is retired and continues to make a name for himself giving away decades of accrued wisdom for free on his blog the convexity maven highly recommend checking it out for his writings there's tons of great knowledge there In this conversation, we talk a lot about his most recent pieces, wages of fear and the 2021 model portfolio. We talk about financial markets and some key drivers, including inflation, interest rates and key demographic shifts. We go into detail on portfolio allocation and some great ways to position your investments over the next few years. There's a lot of gold here, that's for sure. Before you listen, please don't forget to like or subscribe to the podcast, or even better, leave a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe or like the video. I really appreciate it. And it really, really helps. Apparently, that's what they say. Either way, enjoy the conversation with Harley Bassman. Harley, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy New Year. First guest of 2021, happy new year to you as well. Both of us in sunny California, this is this is great. Maybe next time we'll do it in person, you know, in 2025 when we can all move freely and and, and talk without masks on, I suppose.
1: Better through the mask.
0: <laughs> oh my God, I hope so. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show today. You run a, a great blog, big fan of all of your work. But before we get started, just for my listeners who don't know who you are, can we get a little bit of your background, who you are and where you are?
1: Sure. I'm a native of California, New Chicago, a BA, so I'm a monetarist, whatever that means to people, seeing that's been, in, I guess, you know, disregard for a while now. I spent most of my career uh, 26 years at Merrill Lynch, where I ran uh, mortgage and option businesses. I came out to California a few years ago to work for Pimco, one of their hedge funds. And now I run a hedge fund of one myself. And I write a I call it an episodic commentary, not a blog, but it's all the same thing. And people are welcome to, to sign up for it. Go to my website, convexitymaven.com. It's right there. And you can send me an email, I'll add you, and it's free. So you, you get what you pay for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Episodic, what would what you call it? Episodic what?
1: Episodic commentary.
0: Episodic commentary, I love it. No, and uh, the ConvexityMaven.com, I'll I'll link it up in the show notes. But fantastic resource. Really love a lot of your writings. And uh, before we get into that, you were the creator, the inventor of the Move Index. Is that right? Yes. And, Man, and, I mean, and
1: I spent the better part of uh, I don't know fifteen years trying to get anyone to care about it. I, I you know, talked to, talk to the journal, the Times, Barons. Bloomberg, all these people, and they, they didn't care that much for it. And, and in the last 10 years, it's become actually rather popular. I'm um, not, not sure why that is, but I'm happy that it's working. It was created almost the exact same time as the VIX. When the VIX came out, it occurred to me that, that we should have something similar for bonds. And I constructed that in, in a way that would be very simple and that would there, it could just feed right off a machine. There, there'd be no dealer marking it. It's just automatically wisdom. done. And it's a way of, it's like an unscaled absolute index so it's a clean read and you can say something is double or half of what it used to be and and it was my way of of helping um you know people involved in optionality or convexity have a rough idea of like it what zip code is volatility in you know the horses went that way boss kind of thing 80 or 120 or now is in the low 50s that was the idea
0: I wanted to start a little bit more high level, but that's, that's incredibly interesting. And I've always been trying to think through how this massive amount of Robinhood traders playing options is impacting different things. So it's good to know that, well, obviously it is impacting things, but it's, it's, it's skewing the whole reading of something like the VIX. That's just mind blowing. And I'm not sure how that, how that impacts other, other aspects of the market. Is there some, Something that you can just point at within the market and say, this is impacting it this way, or it's, it's kind of included in a number of different ways in ways we can't really point out that easily.
1: For real option geeks, market makers and professionals, this is meaningless to anybody. So anyone listening to this podcast, you don't care about <laughs> so gotcha. it, but you asked <laughs>
0: No worries. Yeah, no. Well, it's very interesting. And I mean, the, the move is still around and tracked by a lot of people. And you were credited with uh, creating that. So really, really awesome stuff. As we said on your website, on your episodic commentary site, you have a lot of really good commentary. I'd like to just start off with your overall global macro view, what's happening in financial markets, your, your last two pieces between the wages of fear And your 2021 portfolios, I think, kind of package these things up nicely. Do you mind just kind of talking to me about what's going on in financial markets?
1: I think it's pretty easy. If you are interested in nips to blips, if you're interested in short-term trading or day trading or anything like that, then turn the video off. You don't want to to listen to me because I don't care. My horizon is two to five years. I'm an investor, not trader. And that means the most important rule of investing is sizing is more important than entry level. I really don't care about the price I get in at if I like the idea and it makes sense to me because I know I can't time it. And there's plenty of studies out there of people, if you miss the the, the the top 10 best days of the year, you, 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 you lose money, something like that. The odds of you finding that are nil. So what's the big picture? Uh, the big picture is, is twofold. One, we've had 10 years of QE, money printing. And the initial QE after the financial crisis was a good idea. We are a leveraged financial economy, okay? That's what we do. We're not gold-based anymore. It's, it's levered money. And therefore, the plumbing of this money has to, be, has to exist. You can't rip the plumbing out. And so when you had a crisis in 08 and 09, between the, the, the clearing and the banks and everything else, The government had to step in to save the plumbing. Now, is this a good deed? Did these guys deserve to be saved? I can assure you that my boss at Merrill deserves to be in jail as far as I'm concerned. And did Obama and Justice make a mistake in not prosecuting these people? Definitely positively. I mean, they went after guys in 89 for, for less. But nonetheless, QE1 had to happen. After that, was that a good idea? It was good in spirit. It was bad, bad in, 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 in the result, and you had a public policy bad. Because what happened is the printing of money in QE2, 3, 4, infinity created inflation, but the inflation went to assets, not to wages, and thus you've exacerbated all of our problems by widening the income gap and wealth gap and everything else. That wasn't the Fed's intent, but that's what happened over here because the money had to go someplace. Why did the Fed want inflation? There's a question you're supposed to ask next, and the answer is, we had too much debt. After 08-09, we had too much debt. We had to get rid of it. How do you get rid of debt? There's three ways. Well, there's really two. The first one is you grow out of it, which is what we did after World War II. That's not going to happen for a lot of reasons, so off the table. So you have two ways out of debt. You default or you inflate. And In inflation, a slow motion default. So since the Fed did not want the defaults, which would cause unemployment and other problems, they said, let's create inflation. That was the idea of QE and all the money printing. They got the inflation in assets, not in wages. That didn't work. They're, they're trying it again now. But it's different now because we're going to have fiscal policy along with the QE. The fiscal policy is going to put the money in the hands of people who will spend it, as was putting money into the banking system. Where it will just get absorbed into stocks, bonds, gold, real estate, and everything else. So this is this, this new plan is going to work. Now, in conjunction with that, so that's that, that's the that's the top, the surface of the ocean, which we can see of this giant iceberg. But as you know, an iceberg is basically ninety percent underwater. The underwater portion of this is the demographic. And I have, I, I have many charts in my writing. You can go through my website and go look them up, about the demographics over the last 60 years. And what you had was this baby boom explosion, people born in 1946, 64. As this pig in the python works through the system, you had the big inflation in the 70s and 80s. And then since then, this collapse of, of inflation and interest rates. Why? because the average boomer was born in 1955, which means in um, um, 1985, that's the big bulge, but the leading edge is happening in the 70s. And what do you do? The boomers got married earlier, had kids earlier, formed households earlier. When you do that, what happens? Well, you buy a washing machine, you buy a baby stroller, you buy a car, you you go on vacations with the family, you're spending money. You have big demand. You're demanding from a supply. Who's the supply from? That's from the World War II generation, just smaller. So there's more demand and supply and up go prices. And you can measure this by the growth of the labor force. Because labor force's age is what, you know, 18 to 65. Or you can winnow it down if you want to 25 to 55 most productive years, whatever it might be. If you chart labor force growth versus interest rates and lag it by five years, you, it, 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 it's the same chart labor force growth is going to turn up three to five years from now. And I've been writing about this for 10 years now because the demographic is baked in the cake. I mean, you can't be reborn 10 years ago. I mean, we know what it is. So therefore, 2023 or 25, labor force growth tips up and you should see interest rates tick up and you see inflation tick up. And when you combine that demographic with QE and fiscal policy, there you go. That, 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 that should create the inflation, which should also create int- higher interest rates, although it may not. You, the Fed could hold it down and just create negative interest rates. Okay. You will get the inflation and will it be in rates? I think it will be. Because the reality is that the Fed wants a steeper curve. They want to keep rates low in the front, but a steeper curve in the back. Financial institutions do better. And pensions and insurance companies all do better, insurance companies. So I mean that, that that's about, a steeper curve is now a problem for the Fed in, in reasonable terms. So that's, that's the big picture. Of, of, and, and so you want to invest accordingly uh, to that.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that paints a fantastic picture. I mean, the world has been drunk on cheap debt. You have these demographic moves that are really going to impact things. I, I love your comment about sizing is more important than timing. But as one of your like mantras that I see a lot on your site is, it's never different this time, which I love. Because especially right now, I find myself always saying, oh, it's so different this time. The, the you know government debts are so much higher. The world's very indebted. Rates can never go up because of the size of these debts. We have these crazy new things like MMT that are coming out of the woodworks. It, it's totally different this time. I think it, it's a great gut check to read your blog and say, it, no, it's never different this time. I'll challenge you, all of these things that you said, all of these factors that are moving around, how do you piece through these and say, no, it's never the different this time? Are you looking at somebody like Japan? Are you, like, how how do you rationalize this when it does feel in fact so different this time?
1: Well, it is never different this time. The problem is, is you, you used to live long enough. The cycles and the, and the movement or longer than your 40-year investment career or 80-year life. So, I mean, that's why you never see these things, but they all happen over and over again. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, we read the Greek tragedies, we read Shakespeare, and then, um, well, I'm not getting into politics, but what we read nowadays. But why do we read these things? Because nothing has changed. What is the great destroyer of mankind? Hubris, ego, greed. Fear. That's not different. And, and, and those will happen over and over again. And, and we will have speculation and we'll have fear and, and cycles. MMT is not new, okay? It's just called something different. But then once upon a time, you've always had, you know, the kings and queens of the realm will go and, you know, shave off the silver, the edges of silver or, 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 or create some kind of other currency. And this always happened and we know how it ends. The thing is, these cycles could take a very long time. The Roman Empire took 400 years to uh, to cycle on through. So, I mean, the fact I'm talking about, you know, post-World War II cycle of, of 60, 70 years, I mean, kind of nothing, man. Now, as a trader or an investor, you know, you really can't trade for 100 years. You, you, you kind of got to trade. Your, your window really is probably 10 reasonably to, to operate in. So that's kind of, the, kind of the big, I mean.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. Ultimately, we're all just um, monkeys with the same primal instincts. And, you know, it always goes back to that. So I, I do get that. Talking about this bigger picture, you know, as an investor, you have these shorter time periods. Now it's different. A hedge fund of one thinking of like multi-generational wealth and, and preservation and things like that, that is perhaps a little bit different investing across multiple generations, but knowing that, okay, inflation it has to come, it's definitely coming. And it, it it has shown itself in asset prices and now they're gonna direct a consumer, encourage people to send, spend, get the velocity up. It's coming, but if we do something like MMT, which we likely will, the end enemy... of- doing? <laughs> yeah, well, you, I mean, it's doing? here, but I mean like full on, just floodgates open MMT.
1: You don't think $900 billion, which is four to GDP is like a number? I mean, we're spending more now than we did, like you know, from World War II. I, I mean, this is like compared this to the Marshall Plan, inflation adjust. These are utterly really gigantic numbers. Are they justified? Is it reasonable during the pandemic? Yeah, as a public policy idea, is a good idea. Yeah. So uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm just right. saying that that, that, that that let's scale this thing properly. These are very big numbers.
0: They are very big numbers, and I think that's almost a a benefit of them because they're so unfathomably large that people, you know, it's just a trillion here, more billion here, it is what it is, right?
1: All we have here is this, it could be 20 years before we get the inflation. That could easily happen. And Japan is proof of something, I'm not sure what. Japan is, is all, I mean, whenever I talk about any of this nonsense, The only reasonable pushback is, what about Japan? Because their deficit is vastly larger than ours. Their QE, vastly bigger than ours. So a different demographic, which is old and shrinking. The money they're borrowing is internal money. Most JGBs are owned by locals. It's not international business per se. So they owe it to themselves. They have a massive savings there, um, generational savings. Which is much bigger than anywhere else on the planet. And in theory, that savings offsets the JGB debt. So they kind of you're you're picking one pocket to the other. So it's a little different. Uh, if they default, they're defaulting themselves. If we default, we're screwing China, which by the way is not a bad idea at all. But but but, but that is the defense we have of, of, of an external debt. And, but no, we uh, but we print our own money. So this is why third world countries always have a problem because they borrow in dollars and they can't print them. But we can't print dollars. So we could push ahead. I mean, it's almost like, I guess it's almost like gravity you either bl- or religion, you either believe or you don't. I mean, I mean, if, 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 if it's possible to print the currency of the realm at a faster pace than the growth of the actual you know, economy, and, and it doesn't cause a problem, I, I suppose that's fine. I don't see how it can be. If you only have X amount of loaves of bread, and you double the amount of currency out there, then at some point, bread's got double in price, uh, or else will say make more bread or whatever. MMT is not wrong in the concept that you could borrow. What's MMT? Modern monetary theory. And what it says is that you can borrow, the government could borrow money as much as it wants, as long as there is slack in the economy. So the idea that I could print the more money in my last example. But we can make more loaves of bread. There's bakers who were who were on the beach who, you know, if, if, if there's demand, they'll come from the beach, they'll go to the bakeries, and they'll make more loaves of bread. So that's fine. When you run out of bakers, so when you've used up all the, sl- the slack in the, in, in the supply, in your capacity, then you get inflation. And that's the signal that you, you've reached your limit. The problem you have there is that no one has a model for inflation that's viable. Nobody—not the Fed, not Wall Street, not anyone else. we don't know where we can't model it. We have no where it comes from. Uh, we can't predict it. So therefore, you'll only know inflation has arrived when it arrives. And of course, by then it's too late. So, so this is like being on a diet. You know, you stop when you're fat, mean it's too late. The other issue is even if you had that model of inflation, let's think about the government is is borrowing money and spending it. We have a policy of how the money is spent. To go and say, okay, we've reached our limit means you now have to go and reduce that spending because the old spending was a deficit number. So you got to take it down so you stop borrowing. How are we reasonably going to go and dial back? That is just not going to happen. I I mean, we could say we're going to go on, on, on a diet, but we're not going to. It's just not realistic of the way politicians work. They're elected for a very short term. And the way the carrot and stick is created now, it's unreasonable. So are, is MMT wrong if it was actually implemented as they say—that we'll borrow money as long as there's no inflation, and when the inflation comes, we will cut that. we will cut the, the, the government budget by, you know, 15 percent, you know, or 20 percent. That's fine then, but they're not going to do that, so that—that's the flaw in the whole thing.
0: Yeah, certainly. I don't want to go down that path of short-termism and issues with all of this because that's certainly playing into a lot of this, right? But. uh Something that I thought about when you were talking is like the Titanic floated until it didn't, right? Everything works until it doesn't, <laughs> and and I feel this exact same way about MMT, but knowing that MMT is here, that it will just get more and more drastic from here on out i mean politicians will 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 give more money they'll forgive the college debt because and this plays into your whole hypothesis about increasing consumer spending of the millennial class like you pull off their debt load they're going to have more uh, disposable income to spend but knowing that the fed and the governments will be monitoring inflation whether it's cpi or other and and combating that it it feels Counterintuitive to position your portfolio knowing that inflation is coming, and you might you might be in a world of hurt in the short term. Is that is that fair?
1: I, I think we got to think about two things here. I don't want to delve into politics too much, but it's as much as i just said. The MMT is, 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 is not going to work, but you know it's not going to work. I guess it will work in, in the grand scheme of the Fed wants inflation, the government wants inflation. And and maybe having inflation is better than plan B, which is having lots of people, you know, throw out their houses, not be able to get food, not having jobs. I mean, maybe maybe this inflation is better. The reason why inflation might be a better idea is it's a silent tax across the entire country. So there's two good things about it. One, it's silent, the, 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 the politicians aren't raising taxes or anything like that. And number two, it's universal. It goes across the entire country. Is it regressive? Yes, it is regressive tax, which is bad. But you know, maybe, maybe that is the best way to go solve the problem with this. Now, from an investing standpoint, what do we do? So let's throw in the public policy idea and now look at our own personal portfolios. What you wanna do is own things that, I don't wanna say are solid, you can get your arms around, but things that have real value that will hold them. If you look at the Chris Cole, I, I suspect you've interviewed him, or you will someday. I've stolen so many of his ideas, thank God. The brightest guys out there. He wrote a piece, brilliant, oh, seven eight years ago. It's on the internet. You can go find it. And he has a chart in there about the German stock market during Weimar Germany. And yes, you have the people of the people pictures of the, uh, wheelbarrows full of worthless you know, Deutschmarks, but the stock market actually kept pace with inflation. Because Volkswagen, Dambler Benz, you know, these guys that are making, they're real companies making real things, they're going to raise their prices with, with inflation because it's, it's a real asset there. And if you and then there's a, is there a lag of years? Yeah. But I mean, over the course of time, you want a real asset there that's going to hold value. This is why gold is an interesting idea. Is Bitcoin also in that camp? Maybe. But, but real estate, clearly real estate will hold its value. Will real estate go down initially? Yes. When you get the inflation, you will likely get higher rates. If you get the higher rates, then the discount rate, either the the cost of borrow money or the cap rate on on a commercial property will go up. If you raise the discount rate, then the forward dollars are worth less today, and therefore the price of the asset goes down. So you will initially have prices go down of of assets. But over time, they'll catch back up again. So owning stocks, in some sense, is an inflation hedge. Uh, People will fight and scratch about that, but you are owning a real asset as opposed to owning a bond, which is clearly a loser because you're promised X dollars of fiat currency X years from now. That's clearly a loser. So moving into real assets is, 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 is the concept.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I think this rhetoric is uh, kind of spreading a little bit of like, get out of cash. It's being devalued. There's going to be inflation, which are two separate things, but still like the impact is the same. Get into some sort of asset because cash is going to lose its value. I get this. This makes sense. But in terms of like... In, in, uh, Perhaps we're going back and I definitely like to talk about the picks and positioning your portfolio, but this just screams to me further wealth inequality and the divide and further issues around that of the the people that have assets and, the, and, and are able to invest and the people that don't and are living paycheck to paycheck. They're the ones that really, really get screwed or hurt in this situation. And that just leads itself to more government support and kind of. Just this disgusting cycle that I see that ends with pitchforks and torches, in a pretty pessimistic state. Right.
1: Well, there's a timing issue of how long it happens. I mean, these things could be, be many years. And I own gold. I'm not a gold bug. I mean, I'm not one crazy guys, you know, on TV saying buy gold now, buy silver now. It can be quite a while. Gold's a very long-term asset. It's going to be a ten-year, you know, twenty-year cycle in gold. Public policy. We 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 are betwixt and between right now is what to do there. And I agree that a lot of these policies are, are helping the wealthy. If you do look at the charts of wealth concentration, we've had two cycles of this. And both these cycles have reverted, not because the government raised taxes or anything else, they reverted because asset prices went down. The, the stock market you know, breaks in the, in, in the 30s. And again, in the 70s is when you saw wealth inequality collapse. Because by definition, the wealthy have assets and Poor don't. That's, that's why they're poor. Is, is that a, that's, that's not a good thing, but that is a cause is of the effect. So I mean, how the government resolves that is unclear because I, I don't think they could actually wave their hand, but, but it might work. But if if you do get inflation and you do get higher rates, you will initially get lower asset values. And I can almost assure you that, that if you get rates above three and a half to four percent on the 10-year, you will see a compression of, of, of the wealth gap and, and, and you'll see other bad things that happen, which is why I've you know, structured a trade, which I am trying to find a way to bring it to the common man. I have not found it yet. But these long data, like seven and 10 year options on interest rates, that's, that's, that's the master hedge for this whole, this whole thing. Because what you're really gonna worry about is if you do get rates above three or 4%, what you're going to see is presently what we have is stocks and bonds go up and down to opposite directions. Stocks up, bonds down, like today, Spoozer's up, what, 38 points, and, and the bond's down uh, uh, 10 bits higher. So if you have a levered portfolio, a risk parity portfolio, like Bridgewater, how they become famous, he's the first guy to figure this out. You have $100. The risk parity is this. You know they go up and down in opposite directions. You have 100 bucks you buy $70 of stocks, you buy $130 of bonds, so now you have $200 invested, you have to borrow $100 from somebody, forget that. And you get that ratio of 70 to 130 by the correlation of stocks to bonds, which is basically simple calculation you can do, do, do at home you know just take the prices every day and figure out and then you adjust that ratio so you could go 65 135 or 85 115 whatever it might be that portfolio exists because they go in opposite directions if you get rates above three and a half four percent you will see that correlation flip and they do this put them together and if you get down together well and you're levered two to one that's that's, that's lights out, man. That's what happened in March. And that's what, that was really the, because you had stocks and bonds both going down and gold going down. Everything went down together, correlation one trade. And that's when the Fed really stepped in because that was like all of a sudden it was margin call across the board for everybody. And there was no money left. That's when the Fed had to come in with, 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 with you know, 20 bazookas. If we get rates about 3 or 4%, you will, it, it may not be immediate, it won't be a panic sell. But you will see both asset classes go down, and if you look back over the last 70, 80 years, you will see that the correlation of stocks to bonds averages zero. There's no correlation. It goes above, it goes below, but when it goes when when it when it, when it, when it um, goes to, when they go together is when you have higher rates, and there are charts that I produced in my website from Bank America, from Credit Suisse and from Gerard Minnick in Australia. They also show the exact same thing at the exact same location.
0: So that's that's something you're monitoring and watching very closely. Is these you just said ten-year Treasury above three and a half? That's kind of the the benchmark. Yeah. But just go heading up that way, and things could get really ugly, right?
1: Oh
0: yeah. I mean the the this was... happen, by the way we've
1: we got uh, at least two or three years before that happens because right. the demographic. Like we don't we don't get that that lift in labor force growth until 23, 24, 25. So it's so time to go here. Don't, don't, don't panic, man, right, um, right, but, right. But, that, but that's that's what's coming.
0: Well, and, and and so teasing that one out, I mean, that's the death of the risk parity portfolio, but it's also the death of the gold standard portfolio, the 60, 40 stock and bonds. If you have this bond portion that's supposed to offset your losses when, when stocks go down, well, if they're all correlated, they're not a very good offset. They're not a very, very good diversifier. I've had I had Vincent Dillard talking about the nuclear winter of the sixty forty portfolio. He wins the title for the best title with it. But I mean, as soon as so transitioning toward that world where bonds don't work as a hedge in your portfolio or a diversifier, where are investors going? They're going further out the risk spectrum. The like they just continue to hold bonds and they don't function the way they used to function? How does this work?
1: Well, I'll push back on the idea that 60-40 is, is, is doomed. I mean, 60-40 is just an unlevered risk parity portfolio, okay? But we had 60-40 40 years ago, longer than that. I mean, the old rule on Wall Street was you invest your age in bonds. So when you're 25, you have 500 bonds and and certain and, and, and stocks. And when you get to be older, you, you reverse them because your horizon is shortening. So you had that going on in the 60s and 70s. and That rule is not brand new. What you're talking about, which is correct, is that is the hedge value will go away. But in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the correlation went positive and negative back and forth often. And I have charts of that on my website also. So I mean, I mean so I wouldn't call it the demise of that. I would still recommend being diversified. It just won't be, it'll just be more volatile. Uh, because the correlation will be going the same direction. What do you do about that? I mean, I think what I've done is printing all this money does lower interest rates. The Fed QE does lower rates, which pulls everything down because it forces you out of treasuries and into other things. But the underlying risk... The default risk hasn't changed all that much because the companies aren't getting the money. They're just, you know, they can just borrow a lower rate, I I suppose. So I'm not sure defaults actually are improved dramatically, but the Fed's giving me the ability to borrow money at a very low rate. So I prefer to get rid of my credit risk and take on leverage risk. So if I owned a fund or closed end fund or, or, or some kind of fund on junk bonds five years ago, I've sold those and I've bought mortgage REITs. And closed-end funds on muni bonds. So, like muni quality, not the junk bond quality. Muni closed-end funds they yield four, four and a half percent. And 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 those have no Illinois, no Puerto Rico, no Connecticut, no New Jersey. All the crap you don't want to own. Is California crap? I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's certainly better than, than you know, Illinois or, or, or New Jersey. Is New York bad? Um, New York is, is not, I mean, as much as everyone hates New York, maybe the MTA is a problem. But you know, something to, to understand is that in California, half of the personal income tax comes to the top 1%. As a public policy matter, is that good? No opinion. The problem with that is it's a very volatile number, because if stocks go down, the top 1% have less income, and therefore they pay less taxes that's what happened in 08 09 and that and company got into a pickle in new york most of their money comes from property taxes prop taxes are very stable and, and people got to live somewhere if people tend to pay their their taxes first they don't want to lose their to default they, they they pay the property taxes so therefore new york's actually a much more stable financial environment new york state than california but the, the, the pension problems in new york State, and California are nowhere near as bad as Jersey, Connecticut, or Illinois. So I mean, you know, I, I have no problem with, with owning those assets. And, and if I can get a, four, a, a triple tax-free for foreign change, is that bad? How do they get it? They get it from leverage. Fine. I'll take the leverage risk because I think the Fed is keeping rates at zero for at least the next two or three years. They've said they're going to do it. The market's pricing, they're going to go and do it. And therefore, if I can go and take leverage risk to enhance my yield, as well as credit risk, I like that and then I can either hedge or not hedge that the the the, the, the duration component but you know if, 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 in my tax bracket i'm making 8% on these things um, fine i can live with that uh, i i i i i i i
0: yeah, well, that makes complete sense versus going into a corporate uh, bond fund or something and taking on all of that risk. I get that. And it was, so, this is a good transition into your model portfolios piece. So, one of them was these municipal bonds closed in funds. And you mentioned in there definitely not Illinois, New Jersey, Connecticut. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned Puerto Rico as well, which uh, probably is a good choice to include not in that in that no list. That makes a lot of sense. And then you also mentioned mortgage REITs. So can you talk a little bit about mortgage REITs and for my listeners that aren't familiar how that's different from like an equity REIT?
1: I, I think the mortgage REITs is probably the, probably the best trade out there right now. There's a risk involved. What happens is this. So an Analy or AGNC are the two biggest mortgage REITs out there and they basically buy Fannie, Freddie, Ginnie, mortgage mortgage bonds. They're basically government bonds. There's no credit risk. They're, they're not going under. And what these guys do, and mortgage rates, so a property, most of the rates out there are either equity or property rates, where they're buying the actual hotel or the, or, or the shopping mall, and then borrowing money against it, and then making money, blah, 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 blah. These guys don't do that. They buy the bonds in this case, bonds backed by home mortgages, very simple. They will then say they have $100, they'll go and they'll buy $700 of bonds and then borrow 600. So they're delivered seven to one. So what's your first risk? You're borrowing 600 bucks. If that borrow cost, which is now like, you know, under 1% goes up, that's bad, okay? Well, the Fed's told me they're not taking that rate up for two or three years. OK, that's good then. They have a mortgage security. It's like a seven to 10-year treasury, the risk of it is. So if rates go up, it can go down by a lot. So what do they do? They then sell these they, they derivatives, but forget that. They sell 10-year If they got 700 bonds. They'll sell 700 million 10-year notes against it. So now they got that duration boxed up. Eh, not quite. Because what happens next is a mortgage security is callable. If you have a mortgage, if you're watching this show, you likely do, you can, you can pay off your mortgage whenever you want. So that mortgage that you have, which is packaged up and put into a Fannie Mae bond, that bond is actually, it could be a 30-year, it could be one month, you never know what's going to be called. And that's kind of, this is what I did for most of my career is the optionality, the convexity of those mortgage bonds. Like, how do you figure it out? Okay, so that you're short a 10-year treasury, but you're long is either a three-month piece of paper or a 30-year piece of paper. Hey, what's it gonna be? Okay, that embedded optionality has to get hedged out and they go and they buy options against it. Well, as we started the show, Uh, We have the move index. Where's the move? The move's in the low 50s. It's at record lows in volatility. So the cost of buying back, that optionality is at forever lows. That's the whole idea, is that all these risks are basically vastly reduced from where they've been. So I have my financing cost is pinned by the Fed. The back end rate is hedged out. And the actual movement is going to be diminished because the Fed's going to do QE and keep holding rates there. And even so, instead of moving 2%, you can move half a percent. Even that half a percent, the cost of hedging that convexity out is now been reduced because of low volatility. And these things yield 9%, 10% right now. So yeah. that's, 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 that's the whole idea over there.
0: I think I think those are great picks. The public ones that you mentioned, the big ones, Annaly and what?
1: AGNC. Um, I for ATMC. There's other ones out there that also do other things, which get a little more complicated. You can look them all up. And, and what they'll do is mortgage servicing, or they'll do non agency paper. They'll do adjustable rate mortgages. Some of them will do commercial mortgages. The BDCs out there, like an Aries Capital or a Ready Capital, like they'll go and, and make, lo- it's, they'll be very high in the capital structure. They'll make loans to people or to businesses, lever them up. But once again, the credit risk is very low. They're, the money really is the leverage component, not the credit component. And so that's the risk I prefer. Now, three years from now, i going to be saying the same thing. I'm, I'm going to be a lot more worried, but but I'll, I'll put that coupon now. And next.
0: Yeah. You're basically holding this until rates starting to go up, which is like an existential risk to these things starts ticking up, which, which you've talked about. And then, and then it's you do not want to be in mortgage REITs at that point of time.
1: Yeah. And the trade along with that is, I'm you're, you're going to talk about the uh, S&P option trade? or you Yeah. So, so you
0: have a couple other good picks in here. And I think the the reason why I like a lot of these picks is it's very, you, you talk about your, your thought process and they're different from like the average picks. Why don't we jump into the SPY options?
1: Yeah. Uh, just, just to make sure. I mean, so it's on my website under model portfolios and this is my PA. I, I, I own more than this, but everything in the, in, in, they have written about, I own. So um, I'm eating my own cooking here. So we're going to, I mean, a lot of people said that the Democrats win everything. It's going to be like, you know, nuclear winter for the stock market, and the bond market. I've never been a believer in that uh, per se. I'm not saying that Democrats are good or bad. It's like I, I put not too much value in these predictions, but it is pretty clear that um, the Democrats, if you do get them, you're probably going to have more spending. So the MMT fiscal policy is probably going to be greater, theoretically, although it does seem to be the case that Republicans have put us in a bigger debt than the Democrats have over the last 60 years, which is kind of weird that the Republicans claim to be the conservative, fiscal conservatives. It's been totally backwards. Clinton balanced the budget. Obama almost, I mean, you know, shrunk the thing down. Forget the politics there. But I think you're going to see a cycle, either party, Democrat or Republican, of spending and QE and fiscal expansion, and that will initially help stocks only in nominal terms. And so, and I felt that I had a floor uh, on my position that we probably would not go much through 250, or 2500, 2750, because you get PEs there around I don't know, like 17, which with rates down one or down to one, that, that, that's that's a pretty good deal there. Remember, the PE is the inverse of the earnings yield. So, PE is 17, means you're earning 6% on, on, on your money. And if 10 years are 1%, if you know, if junk bonds are 5%, I'm still earning more than these other alternatives. And I know Schiller says that there's no interest rate component to, to KP's He's wrong. He's smarter than me, I suppose. But I mean, I, I just don't buy the fact that rates don't have an impact on on, on on investment decisions. So I kind of figured that you're floored out there. And so I can buy a listed option and it gets very technical about why this is a good ticket, but basically I bought a 415 trade and sold 275 for zero cost. I was in the market? It was a 3,600. If you actually go back through my stuff, I actually recommended in, was it Jan, July, June? Somewhere in there, I, I I recommended the the 240 versus the, was it three, three, 340? It was like
0: a uh, three sixty five strike four ten put option strike
1: two seventy five. I I had another I I had the exact same trade but everything lower down it was two forty on the front and something else in the back. It was it was three ten? Yeah. Anyways, I mean these same ideas. And what's important about this? I mean, first off, this is pure S and P risk. This is not an arbitrage. This is not a hedge. This is outright being on the market. But what's good about it is this. Number one, you're using options. And the option market makers, they don't care if you're buying or selling. They even have a computer that's grinding it out. They're making money, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. They have no position when the day's over. They need to make a very tight market. Therefore, they kind of lock up most of their inputs. And one of those inputs they lock up is where they borrow money at. And they borrow money at the best rate possible. Citadel, Susquehanna, borrow money at the same rate as Merrill Lynch and Bank America. So I'm basically buying assets at you know a quarter percent borrow rate. That's incredible. It's a much better borrow rate than you uh, can do anywhere else. Also, if you actually own SPY or, or stocks in a portfolio in general of diversified stocks, you sell them now, take your gain, take your loss, take whatever. And you convert to this trade, yes, you miss out on the first nine percent of the up move, but you're protected down, you know, twenty five odd percent, right? Because you don't get put the stocks until you're twenty seven fifty. I kind of like that pro- that profile, and I have the cash, and I can invest the money in something that, you know, in some you know short term bond fund that's going to pay more than a quarter percent. So I'm kind of almost arbitraging that because I'm buying Citadel at a quarter percent, investigate at, you know, PIMCO, at, you know, something that, that, that one, two, and change. What's wrong with that? So um, that's kind of, the, that, that, that's how I get my exposure to equities is via these long-dated options as opposed to picking out names or, or actually buying. I'll tell you this. My son actually was looking at buying and he's a Robinhood trader. He's had better than I have. I'll tell you that. In any case, he wanted, he was looking at the ETF that's three to one up and down, All right, that's, Sometimes yeah. you have to pay about three to one. And he said that the gossip is you don't buy that because as a long term trade, a short term trade. And the answer is yes. The reason why is that if SP yields a 2% dividend, if you're getting 3x the risk, then you better get 6% of dividend, but you don't. The ETF is absorbing the extra four points there, plus their fees. That's why these, these things are, are, are total losers over the long term. If you want leverage, why don't you go and buy a deep in the money? Largely a call option. So when the market was 3600. I advised him, and he did it. Shockingly, he bought the the 2600, the 260 strike call for 107 points. So he paid Man. seven points. He paid seven points over the intrinsic, and he has an embedded put at 2600. And you're only paying 107. Versus buying the market at 3,600, so you in theory could buy three X and still bring left over. And so, and and and, the, and and so basically, you're taking all the dividends, embedding them in the option. You're borrowing at the Citadel rate, and balls are low. So that was the vastly better trade to get exposure. If you like want to buy and hold for out, out for a couple of years, that's a much better trade than buying these uh, these, these 11 ETFs.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's a, uh, man, I hope, well, I feel like the options are just the next step. These Robinhood traders start, you know, they get their free stock when they sign up. I need to sign up for the thing. I've heard it's incredibly addictive. It's terrifying to me. But, uh, you know, the next iteration, you, you start looking at these levered ETFs, then you start trading options, then you start buying these deep in the money calls like this. This is going to have some impacts. Really I actually... Much- so, well, yeah, and then, <laughs> then you can buy Bitcoin, and which is a levered bet on all of everything. With this trade, the way that it's structured, because your call is above your price, you're missing out on this little price, but you're you're participating in the big move up. And then your put is below the price, so y- you are put those shares at a really attractive price if it does just tank, yeah. right? But you're protected you, for a little bit. You've got to be
1: really you gotta be willing to own the market at that put price. Right, um, so
0: don't and, don't sell like you know 10,000 shares or, or, or 10,000. No,
1: in, in the real world, the optimal trade is if you own stocks, you sell them and put this trade on instead. Gotcha. That's, that, that's the op, it's, it's an asset replacement trade. Yeah.
0: A shorter term, so you, you have tax implication I mean, thoughts like versus just holding the index, right?
1: There is, there is a tax consideration that you got to think about, and and, and and that's up to you to figure out on, on your own. My thought was that since Biden won, you're probably going to have higher taxes, so I'll take my taxes now at the lower cap rate because next year is going to be a higher cap rate. Is that really going to happen? Who knows?
0: Well, I mean, all of the things we've talked about, it's pretty unlikely that taxes will go down <laughs> in any that's significant unlikely. manner over the next forever. I I'd take that trade all day long.
1: But the option goes out to 2023. I mean, so you got. I mean, this, is, this right. is. I mean, so you got a long time to go play with this thing.
0: Right. Looking through, we talked about closed in. You talk a little bit about long dated interest rate options and the the European Dow. Do you want to talk about those trades as well?
1: The long dated rate option. Stay tuned. I'm 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 going to find a way to offer this to to to, to the common person.
0: Oh yeah, that's um, the one that's not available, okay. right? Gotcha.
1: And the, the SX5e is listed on the Eurex uh, in London or Germany. I think it's Frankfurt Exchange, sorry. And this is a, a very similar idea. The math is, is, is identical. If you wanted to do the, the full-on risk reversal, you can buy an at-the-money spot call and sell like a 26% out-of-the-money put for zero cost. And that is because rates are negative in Europe. So you're borrowing at a negative rate, compounded for four or five years. Think about that. You're compounding a negative rate for years when you do some of these derivative trades because derivatives need to price off the forward, the forward trades in the market, maybe not in public markets, but in private markets. And the forward is kept at the theoretical right price because if it's not, arbitrageurs will come in. Like when I was on Wall Street, and I would do this, right? and I would force that thing to, to collapse, or I just take free money. If you ever read Liar's Poker, Solly Arb, that, that whole thing—what those guys did—they were the first guys to do the futures forward trade and collapse things. That's how they made all that money. So,
0: I was expecting something like real estate. Just makes so much sense to me right now because you're borrowing it at such low rates and you're locking in the price of dollars today and some asset that's going to appreciate. And then the, you know, the rent is going up with inflation supposedly as well. Is it crazy to be super bullish on real estate if you can buy it, buy something that's somewhat attractive right now?
1: I've always been a suspect of these, of certain asset classes because it's unclear to me about the expenses involved. I mean, Buying a port a diverse portfolio of residential real estate in a structure strikes me it's interesting because it's I think it's very expensive to go and you know wash the floors, paint the walls, change the roof. I think that's very expensive to do on a grand scale. I think a lot of people use sweat equity to go and fix their places up. So when you see the guys on TV saying, I bought a house, I sold it, made a profit. I suspect the guy did the painting himself. Yeah. If you want to go fire. There's hire, a lot of costs that aren't
0: included there, right?
1: <laughs> if you hire unionized, unionized management to go and do these things, it's expensive. So, I, I, I mean, I think buying your own home is, is, is fine. I think borrowing, taking taking out a mortgage. I mean, I think I think taking out a mortgage is my very first thing on that piece. Don't try. or darn close to it. I mean, you should, if you have a, own a house, you should go and, and borrow money. You should go refinance now. Yeah. And that, that, that clearly is the best thing to do. And for most people, it's tax advantage, and so so. Uh, and if you can, I mean, I don't want to go and, and 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 you know, pump up home, you know home equity loans or or, or those kinds of things. Like too much leverage. But I mean, theoretically, if you can go and refinance, take out some money and pay for your credit card debt, and then promise not to go and build up more credit card debt, which is probably not going to happen. That'd be the right thing to go and do because yeah. that is the cheapest money out there. But you don't want to go and take the equity out of your house. Spend it and then it's gone. I mean, equity in your home. The reason why the boomers have so much money as a, as a group of wealth is that they bought real estate in the '70s, and they never took money out of it. And so that investment was levered five to one. Right? Think about that. You buy a house for a hundred thousand. You put down twenty. You borrow eighty. If it goes up ten percent, so it goes from a hundred thousand dollar house to one hundred and ten. That's up 10%, but on your money, it's up 50%. Because you've only invested 20K and you borrowed the 80. So went right. So you made you now thirty thousand of equity. The boomers basically bought their houses five to one and it just compounded for, for 30 40 years. It's interesting if you go and take you know a three or four percent rate and, and take to the 40th power, it's a very big number, actually.
0: Absolutely. This goes back to the original thing: the world's drunk on cheap debt, and the people that have been levered up to their eyeballs. When everything's going up to the right, like it works out really well, and it yeah. gets really ugly really quickly if it goes the other way. But you know, fortunately, we're in this we're in this world where asset prices only go up. That's for sure. Uh, the good
1: thing now is there is a window. I mean, volatility is relatively low. Things are moving around. Stocks up and down, bonds up and down, but things are basically pretty stable right now you have plenty of time right now to go and adjust your portfolio as you like are you going to hit the all time highs maybe maybe not but most things are have come back to where they were in February you know this yeah. is, the spoos and the fang are higher you know some of the banks are lower but really you know if, if you, if you can move things around now and 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 there's liquidity in the market so it can take size you can you can you can get stuff moved around you you couldn't trade 10 shares you know in march now you can trade thousands of shares at a clip. So here's your window and you know adjust accordingly, which is great.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Bitcoin very briefly in your in your model portfolios. And yeah, just love to get your thoughts on this. We're talking about inflation. This is potential inflation hedge, also a potential massively speculative asset. You have a pretty sta- strong opinion one way or another?
1: Well, the answer is yes. I mean one of my favorite pieces is tools tubes for the masses on my website. I I shoot down Bitcoin, which it was written right near its previous high, something like 18,000. So I felt like like pretty good at the time now because I feel like, yeah, no. Here's the thing about Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? Is it a store of value? Or is it a speculative vehicle? Or is it the means you use for blockchain transactions? If I could buy blockchain ink, I invest in that right now. Bitcoin is not buying blockchain, Inc. It's buying something else, it's buying the token that sits above that. Bitcoin is not viable as a means of transaction. It's just too cumbersome. I mean, the, 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 if you compare the speed with which Visa, how many trades Visa does per day, you know, it's gazillions versus Bitcoin, I mean, really can't handle that many tickets per day. So it's really not viable presently as a means of transaction. It is not a store of value, period. It is not. It has a vol of like 50 or 60. The vol of the yen is like 6%. The the, 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 uh, the, uh, euro is like 7. The pound sterling is 8. Russia is like 14, okay? I mean, it is not a store of value. It is a speculative vehicle. Now, can it go up? Yes. Can it double, triple? Yes. People will say Bitcoin is a great uh, investment because it's convex. What does convexity mean as you tell your mother or father or whatever? Convexity means you make or lose different amounts for the same result. If I make a bet, I can make a dollar or lose a dollar, that's zero convexity. If I can make two and lose one, that's positive convexity. If I can, Lose three, make two. That's negative convexity. Treasuries have slight positive convexity. Mortgage bonds have negative convexity, and all the geeks on Wall Street trying to figure out how much more I should get paid for a mortgage bond versus a treasury bond. Bitcoin is positively convex to the extent they can. It's what thirty-five thousand now. How much can you lose? Thirty-five thousand. How much can you make? Millions. So therefore. You can make money, you lose. It is positively convex. But that does not make it a store of value. Store of value means there's I, I, I have X number of loaves of bread, and I've stored the ability to buy loaves of bread into the future. This is not Bitcoin. It doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it, but I mean, it, it's, it's not a store of value. I'm not, I'm not sure what it is.
0: Yeah. I, and I think that's the market has buyers and sellers, right? And I think that the argument, I mean, i am pretty bullish on Bitcoin for a while now. It's at half a trillion dollars. Gold's at $10 trillion. The the speed and transactions, these things are being solved. They're just technical hurdles. And it only has 12 years of history. Of course, it's going to be very volatile and not serve as a store of value because it's so new. Gold's been praised by people for thousands of years as somewhat of a store of value. Just looking at gold versus Bitcoin, Bitcoin is divisible into a a tiny, tiny fraction, it is transferable peer to peer. I can memorize 12 words in my head and and walk through a military line that's shaking me down and pulling all the gold coins out of my body. And assuming that there's internet wherever I go and another person willing to buy this, I can transact and get the local currency at that point. The, these are aspects of it that make it very desirable as a potential store of value. I agree. Right now, it's very speculative. And I tell people-
1: get one small detail, okay? Yeah. Let's enough, okay? If you want to play? If you want to play? Bitcoin is an act of war. It's a sovereign nation. Okay. Because what is a country really, but it's currency uh, and how they, how, yeah. how they, cause that's how they, so the U S government does not want Bitcoin to be, you know, to take over the U S dollar, um, being the reserve currency of the world is, you know, and our military is the power of the country. going to Yeah. That did going go away. And so what's going to happen is this at some point, Bitcoin, they're going to declare Bitcoin not like gold, a commodity, they're going to call it a bank account. And once it's a bank account, you'll have to go and, and your tax forms, if you, if you, I mean, I've owned form bank accounts. If you own them, which is totally legal, you got to disclose them. If you don't disclose them, what happens to you?
0: Oh Yeah, the F bar, I, I fill <laughs> it out every day, every year.
1: You go to jail, Yeah. okay? Okay, so this whole notion of I have my 12 words, I can walk through the board and, 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 and you know, Al Capone did not go to jail for drugs or bootlegging or murder. What do you go to jail for?
0: I actually don't know. Tax evasion. Tax evasion. <laughs> yeah, Tax <figured. laughs> evasion.
1: Okay, so when they have, when, when the government decides to do it and they make you, you know, disclose your F bar and you don't do it because you have some clever idea a small fry, no one cares, if it actually means something, then they'll put you in jail. And if you want to go and risk being in jail, be my guest. I mean, a lot of things you do, they're illegal. But once that happens, it will not be as much fun for people. And the Russians and Chinese, when they find, I mean, that's why you have, you know, uh, 95% of Bitcoins owned by 1% of the people because they can't get the money because if they actually ever try to type their 12 words in, the Russians and Chinese government will go and shoot them. We don't shoot people in this country yet. But I mean, so I think, I think this notion, of, can Bitcoin get to 100,000 or 500,000 before that happens? Yeah, why not? But let's be clear, the US government is not going to go and uh, encourage uh, a lot of Bitcoin to go and become the currency of the realm. And this idea that digital currency is coming. Yes, we already have that. It's called Venmo. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, uh, it, it's, I, it's a great speculative vehicle. And if you want to go and speculate, be my guest.
0: Yeah, no, and I agree. I mean, we're going the route of fully digital. Then you can push monetary policy, fiscal policy directly into your wallet that's controlled by the Fed, cut out a lot of middlemen. I, there's tons of benefits. But, you know, FBAR, I, I have foreign bank accounts. So I report them. It's not illegal to have those. So I, I do agree that Bitcoin will go that way and I'll have to disclose those. And if it gets to a value that's too, too high and a existential risk to the the nation state then yeah in a place like Russia or China perhaps you are at risk and you don't disclose and then once they do find out you are even more at risk but yeah it's uh, that's an interesting thing to think through for sure
1: I would venture to guess that if you pull aside most Bitcoin people and ask them the reasons why they're in Bitcoin aside from the fact it's going up uh, they'd probably say something like it's off it, it, it's money off the grid and yes. that's the whole point is when th- th- that's false, it's just not on the. It's just the government hasn't put it on the grid yet, but they will.
0: But that's how I, I mean. I can buy a gold bar with a bag full of cash and put it in a safe at my house, and that's out of the system, off the grid, pretty untraceable, especially because it's physical.
1: But if, you, if, you have, if you have more than ten thousand bucks, and you try to put that cash into a, into the banking system. Then
0: well, getting it sure. back into the banking system, but I'm saying well, just like, that gold bar sitting there—two
1: hundred thousand there. dollars of cash in your hand. Like, what are you really going to do with it? Because you really can't buy anything with it without get, without you know having flags get raised.
0: Right. That idea of having the gold bar—it's—it's uh, it's like that, but I can break it into three dollar increments, so I can I can pay the. The the yes. or whatever, yeah.
1: your Gardner, I agree. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it'll take a long time when Bitcoin's at ten billion dollars per coin, right? Harley, I I want to be I want to be aware of your time. I I think we've gone into a lot of great detail on some really good trades and some really good macro views. Again, I'll link all of these things in the show notes, your website, some of these pieces that we've talked about. I'll try to dig up that Chris Cole one as well because I think that's quite important. But uh, yeah, where, where do you want to leave my listeners? Where can they find out more about you, what you're doing?
1: My website, mixmade.com, uh, harley at is the email. It's, it's all on the website. Uh, the better website actually is uh, basman.net, which is where I have our family vacations. You know, it, 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 if you're listening to this, you can probably afford a vacation. Go and do it. You, you are not irreplaceable. The graves are full of irreplaceable people and so i'll tell you this it's one it's all about character thank god that's worked and two is you're born you live you die and you're dead for a very long time like much longer than you think so you should you should you know, don't 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 waste your time with your head buried in the office get out there enjoy your kids enjoy your family and um, you can't take it with you
0: those are the important things what a what a wonderful way to leave it Well, happy new year, Harley. Really appreciate having you on today. And thanks for all of your wealth of uh, knowledge you dropped here. There you go. First off, thank you very much for listening all the way through. I hope you got a lot of value out of that conversation. As always, you can find show notes, links, and more at altassetallocation.com. Please share this with anyone you think might be interested and derive any value from this conversation. And as always, you can reach out to me for any feedback or questions. Please give the video a like, or even better, subscribe on YouTube or your podcast player of choice. This really helps others find the podcast or the video as well. Thanks a lot. Hope everybody has a fantastic day and stay safe out there and invest wisely. Cheers.